0: Chapter 3 Adahi October 1750 Nassau in the fall was beautiful when there isn't a thunderstorm rumbling overhead, but even then she appreciated the grim beauty. Ariana was a young woman just shy of twenty years of age who was a Native American from the North Georgia hills. A stunning beauty in her own right, she had gorgeous green eyes with long lashes attached sitting atop high cheekbones with thick brown hair flowing to her lower back. Ariana! Come now! The rain is near! The man shouts concerningly. She investigates the sky above and looks back to the dark blue ocean as a thunder crashes in the argumentative clouds. Not wanting to leave the shore, she replies, Soon! Her voice is relaxed. Soon! We need to get in the cottage! This storm is going to tear this island in half! He shouts. The wind picks up and the dark clouds consume the light sky. Soon! She repeats. Ariana, you're foolish! He condemns her and walks inward toward the row of shore cottages. The lightning pierces the ocean, immediately followed by deep crashes of thunder in the clouds as the rain begins. The chaos of the storm is soothing the woman's soul standing in sand. She looks to her right and sees something odd down shore. A man is landing a small rowboat on the beach a ways away struggling to drag it through the sand. Intrigued, Ariana makes her way through the storm to the man's location. Moments later, she has stopped a few yards away from him, and he notices her out of the corner of his eye. Enjoying the struggle, are we? The man says through the rain, still pulling the rowboat through the sand. Actually, yes, she answers slyly. He chuckles. Well, then don't allow my interruption. Carry on. The man had blonde hair under his thick black tricorn hat. His broad shoulders and large frame showcased his strength as he pulled the 150-pound rowboat further inshore. Ariana watched as he planted his feet and pulled it past the tide line, finally falling to his backside, letting out an exhausted sigh. Stranger, may I ask why are you rowing in the rain? Ariana asked the exhausted man. Well, stranger, it wasn't raining when I launched off the northeast island just there, he says lifting his arm to the rain, pointing to a smaller outer island northeast of Nassau. You seem to avoid my inquiry. The man lifts his head and looks up at her in the rain, dismayed at her statement but impressed by the beautiful and dynamic female. He laughs, saying, Well, aren't you determined to know my business? Not your business, but why go rowing when there is a storm on the horizon, unless rowing is your business, in which case I'd say you're succeeding, she says aptly with a slight smile. Revealing his commanding figure, the man stands up at six foot three inches. Entranced by the beautiful woman, he can barely let out the words. Why am I rowing in the rain? Indeed, that does require answering. But to me, the more important question at hand is why such a thing of beauty as yourself is standing on the beaches of Nassau in such a disastrous storm lurking over a man rowing ashore? She smiles. Indeed, that does require answering. The man steps close to the woman. So close, the heavy raindrops following him break apart, ricocheting on her. The feeling between the two was immediately magnetic. Within a second, the storm seems to break, if only for a moment, and she looks up, and they lock eyes. I'm compelled to confess that I'm being tracked by men who wish to see my end, he says calmly. Unsure of his revealing comment, she says, Well, let's see to it that they fail their task. She turns toward the building inland in the direction in which she came, just as the storm begins to pick back up. The heavy rains and howling wind blend perfectly with the booming crashes of the shore waves. She looks back at the man and motions for him to follow her. He does. The wooden door in the brick building is flung open from the wind, allowing rain to douse the entry. The woman with the hooded cloak walks in, followed by the burly, blond haired seemingly exhausted man. "'Good to see you return!' I see you found some treasure in the sand, the man says tartly. Clearly he was not pleased by her newfound companion. Treasure? That is yet to be determined, she replies, looking back at the soaking wet man. She releases a knot off her hooded cloak and hangs it on the coat rack. The man follows her into the entry, closing the door behind him. I've yet to know anyone's name, the wet man says directly. Who is this man? The other man says to Ariane in her foreign tongue, completely disregarding the blond man's statement. She looks at the Native American man and looks at the blond man. He was rowing between the islands in a storm and needed somewhere to stay. I offered him shelter and food. He is harmless, she says, trying to ease her older brother. Her brother scoffs and walks directly in front of the blond man and speaks very directly in English. Are you a king's man or a free soul? I like to think I'm a free soul. But we all serve someone or something, do we not? I believe in me, so I serve myself. He pauses and looks at the woman. But I sense that changing. My name is John Young, and I was once a lieutenant in the Royal Navy until I denied King George II an item in which I carry. I am no king's man, John said peacefully but bluntly. Ariana is truly taken aback by his statement, validating what he said on the shores. I am Ariana. And this is my brother, Will Holly. We are in Nassau for trade, departing from the North Georgia hills. We make this voyage every few years. John removes his tricorn and water falls from the depressions on top of his hat as he places it over his heart and half bows. It is an honor to formally meet you, ma'am. Although you never answered my question as to why you walked down the beach to watch me come ashore, he smiles. The storm told me to wait. I did until I saw your rowboat, and it seemed I found what I was looking for. She smiles back. Ugh, the brother sighs, turning around. Sounds like nonsense to me. But then again, everything since we were children from you has been nonsense, Wahali says, extending his right hand toward the man. Welcome, John Young. A few days later, the sky was removed of all dark clouds, with thunderous clashes allowing the sun to provoke the land and sea with its light. Nassau, the crown colony of the Bahamas, under the conditions, was truly a magnificent wonder, and John couldn't take his eyes off Ariana as they walked for hours around the island. The two of them uncovering more about one another and digging deeper, completely consumed within one another. Their romance blossomed the moment they met eyes in the storm nights ago, and they have been inseparable since. They've been walking around the island each day, absorbing as much of each other as they could before her imminent return. Tuesday, on the fourth week together, they found themselves just outside the Fort Montagu in the mid morning when John stops. Ariana, marry me, he says bluntly, frightened of her response. She stops walking and turns at John with a still face trying to mask her elation from him but fails. A smile appears and consumes her lower face. Of course, John Young, she jumps into his arms and they spin happily together. Setting her down on her feet, he brings his head to her level. Putting his lips on hers ever so slightly, just shy of kissing her, and says, I love you. I love you too. They can feel each other's words before connecting their lips fully, and the love emits from their conjoined euphoria. Spring, 1751. A half built wooden cottage was sitting on the western coast of Nassau with a sturdy, smaller one room home on the property for the builder and the family john young was currently constructing a house on his newly acquired property on the western coast since arriving in nassau in early fall john has found his forever home with his new wife ariana who has been with child since early winter she stayed with her husband when the rest of the tribe including her brother Wuhali, sailed back to saint augustine to begin their trek north back home the sun was setting over the western horizon as john was working on the house his focus was lost and his mind was elsewhere as he ended the day With dark thoughts clouding his mind, he seized his woodwork and heads into the small cottage. My love, I fear the thoughts that plague my mind will soon catch up to me. And now, not only me, but us, John says, taking off his work smock resting on one of the iron hooks screwed into the wooden wall. Ariana closes a book she was reading and stands up from the rocking chair in front of the hearth. I know, John. You mustn't be concerned about the old foolish king. He knows not of your location nor your last direction, so how could they reach us here? "'Regrettably, it is only a matter of time,' John replies morosely. She steps to him, placing her hand on his chest. "'You carry the heaviest burden, and only you must see it through,' she says, raising her hand, cradling his face. "'You're the only one, John Young. The men that are coming, the men that are after you, will not reach you. They will not reach us.' Her reassuring words ease his disposition. Placing his right hand over her protruding, expecting abdomen, he says, No harm will ever come to you or this baby. That I will always ensure. The fire reflects off the walls, creating abundant light throughout the small cottage, while the wood crackles against the flames producing a symphony that embraces the lovers in the dusk hour. After supper, John took one of his horses to the dock south of the property. An unnamed sloop was moored close to the furthest dock, as his dock was still being constructed. It was John's breakout ship if any problems were to arise. He hitched the horse on shore and took a rowboat to the ship. Once aboard, he searched for his five pistols, for he feared the musket on shore alone wasn't enough. John knew the king wouldn't find him, but it was only a matter of time, regardless of Ariana's encouraging words. The few haversacks he collected in his travels were filled with cartridge packs of ammunition and powder concealing five pistols in a wooden chest. There were four specific chests john had on the inconspicuous sloop. He had multiple personal weapons and caches of gunpowder for the few cannons on board. He gathered this armament from various sources while on the run. Nassau was intended to be a refit port, but blossomed into so much more. It has been eight years since he renounced the crown and fled his captors off the coast of the Kingdom of Candy. The two men sent to find and kill him were two ruthless and advantageous naval officers that were John's peers in the years prior. Lawrence Carbis and William Davies John once trusted these men with his life. They were certain of his capture in 1745, but John disoriented his pursuers in the Ottoman and traded the necessary currency in Algiers for this ship. He managed to narrowly slip past the British naval trade line in the strait of Gibraltar. Disguised as a simple privateer ship, he made his way down the coast of the colonies, ultimately docking in Nassau in the winter of 48. Once the haversacks were crossed over his shoulders, he secured the pistols in a separate empty linen bag and climbed portside back into the rowboat. The trip back to shore was a quick one. He wasted no time. He tied the rowboat to the dock, unhitched the horse, mounted it, and rode it home, expeditiously, enjoy the time with his new wife and child. The lamp candle was still burning when he returned home. The conversation I needed to be had was a tough one, and one John was avoiding for months. When he opened the door, Ariane was lying awake on the bed against a wall, surrounded by flickering illuminations from the fire finishing her book. My dear, we must speak of this. She puts the book down and stands up. Why, John? Why are you flushed? These men... They're going to find me alive, but that is not why we must speak, he says, closing the door behind him. We must speak about when they do find me, and what will happen to you and the baby. With a sense of calm, she speaks, John. If these men find you, we will be safe. We will travel to La Florida and travel back to the tribe, where we will forever be safe. I understand, but once they kill me, he slows down and lowers his head. They will track you and kill both of you until they have what the king wants. I want you and the baby to travel to Boston and find my brother, Thomas Young. He's an officer in the Royal Navy stationed in Boston Harbor. He will ensure your protection. John, you're not going to Boston. These men are not going to find you, and you're most certainly not going to die. Stop speaking such nonsense. This fever has you all wound up. Regardless, they never even laid eyes upon what you carry, only that you carry it. They will never find you, John, she reassures him taking his hand. But put your weapons on the floor and come to bed. Calm your mind and lay with us. Her words resonated in John's mind until he fell asleep. Lawrence and William had never laid eyes on the item the king seeks, the item which John carries. A faint sliver of hope emerged from the night's activities. For the first time... In a long time john young fell asleep thinking he might survive the king's murderous obsession july 1751 the quarter moon illuminated the island faintly in the twilight hours of the early summer month the one-room small cottage was turned into a lodging house for the midwives as john completed construction of their home and dock at the beginning of the summer tonight was unlike any other as the two midwives and an anxious John was in the second floor bedroom huddled around Ariana assisting her. Labor was excruciating, and her screams reinforced the notion. She was squeezing John's hand while the midwives guided the newborn out of the womb. Even John was taken aback by the enduring pain she was demonstrating. I can see the head, Mrs. Young, the sprightly midwife says enthusiastically. Ariana pushes again, and her howls echo into the warm night, The cries from the newborn soon replace Ariana screaming. She exerts one last push, and the baby has arrived. It's a healthy boy! Absolutely magnificent! The older midwife says, genuinely happy for the new family. They sever the umbilical cord and knot it before wiping, cleaning, and wrapping the baby in a linen cloth, leaving only his face exposed and placing him into the arms of his exhausted mother. He's perfection. Embodied. Ariana says, gently kissing the newborn's soft head. The room was filled with elation and warmth. John had felt something he hasn't felt in years, and Ariana finally feels complete. What shall we name him, dear? The new father asks, over her shoulder, admiring the beautiful baby boy. Ariana gently speaks. Adahee.